and got welcome got to Dateline New Haven. We got to I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make Elm City great. Nothing picks better than Pundit Friday, which we're about to begin here in the WNHH studio with the number one pundits in the media universe. Pundits like the dairy-free goddess of our grassroots operation, Love Babs, inner city news managing editor, Babs. Good morning, Babs. You're on your uh, third hour of the morning. How you yeah. holding up? I'm good. You got, you got a lift that last hour. Those guys you met at the bar last night that came in from Ohio. That was awesome. I should write a book, man. Listen, I got to take these matters into my own hands. I got to pick up my own men. Clearly. <laughs> We have that queen of quippery and quintessence of compassion, La Voz Hispanic publisher, Norma Rodriguez Reyes. Good morning, Norma. Good morning, hola. All right. We got uh, WNHA station manager and heavy D Trump devotee, Harry Droz, the bravest man in New Haven. I'm almost tired of winning. Excuse, excuse me. What's, now, are you, are you CD3? No, I'm on your mic. All right, my mic. Okay. We have the... Uh, the flyest news oh. hunter gather this side of Fleet Street. Right Star New Haven Independent reporter Marquisa Riggs back from homecoming in Virginia. Welcome back, Marquisa. North Carolina. North Carolina. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. <laughs> then, we have anybody else in the studio? It's kind of crowded. Here. Oh, I see one other individual. I can go to Charlotte and come back by the time these. We got the plow driver of <laughs> Peace, the yes. raker and breaker of fakers, the driver out of demons, discord and dissonance, yes. the optimizer of opulence and opportunity, the undertaker of unfiltered utterance, the erudite earl of ergonomics, the liberated line of lucidity, yeah. the alchemist of acidness and alliteration, okay. the zealous zapper of xenophobia, the quintessential quipper of quotable quackery, the grandee of grandilo- grandiloquence and gastronomics, the Duke of Diplomacy and Detente, the yes, king of conspiracy concoction on the morning after the JFK tapes are released. The file. <laughs> He's the high priest of hip-hop, right over to rapture, reigning raconteur of riffitude, sanctified yeah. slayer of the slow-witted, maximum mixologist Joe Ugly. Yes. Of the Joe Ugly Show of the morning. Good morning, sir. Oh, good, good morning, morning to you, everybody. sir. So it's been a busy week at Anthony's Ocean View. That banquet hall on Morris Cove by the water where everything big happens. Earlier in the week, um, Neighborhood Housing Service, which is a nationally recognized nonprofit housing developer. They build, renovate all homes in lower-income neighborhoods and help people afford to own their homes and pass them down to their kids. Jim mm-hmm. Paley founded that thing decades ago. He had a stroke. He almost died. And he's been a little bit back in action. And they honored him with a Lifetime Achievement Award at Big Bash. And Bridget Russell's been filling into the... Filling his shoes well. And it's just you go to a place like New Hallville, where this week New Haven's looking at blight. And where a lot of places where you see islands of stability in New Hallville <laughs> is where neighborhood housing services has fixed up a bunch of homes, found working people, families to live there, own them, gave them training. And their philosophy, which is so interesting, is different from other builders, which is they spend more money, but they find tax credits and charitable money so that you don't have to charge a lot to then sell the house. And then they make sure the roof's in good shape, the um, HVAC, so that when you buy that house, you're not immediately going to have big repairs for like 15, 30 years, so that you actually acquire assets that pay down to your kids. Because we found out one of the biggest problems that perpetuate poverty is not that people don't have high enough salaries, but that they don't have assets, especially in the African-American community. Mm-hmm. People have comparable jobs in other communities, have almost no assets. So if they one paycheck away from losing those assets, they'll pass down to their kids. And neighborhood services has gotten all these people to buy the homes, who also become active in their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you have that same take? You're from New Hallville, Joe. Do you see that same impact there? Uh, 
actually the music is really throwing me off. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> if you have to play it in the background. No, what you were saying. Um, the, you think am I am I right to say neighborhood housing service that approach? Because I think it's a novel approach to housing. It sounds wonky, but there are lots of nonprofits that build housing, go in poor neighborhoods. Right. And if you spend too much, you usually have to charge too much so they don't spend too much so then you buy a house right and if you're not ready to buy the house if it break if you need a roof too soon or a boiler it's too expensive and i think that's part of what perpetuates the lack of assets that that you can't hand down homes to your family you can't get that economic stability and i think it's kind of an ingenious the way they use tax credits and this philosophy of without driving up the cost driving up the quality and they also do homeowner training bridget russell's big on that and i'm hoping she'll take over the organization you know that's the one question i was going to ask you is there Does continuity? it drive the cost up? So the way they do, because it does drive the cost and up, and the historic when you move renovations. In, when, when you move in, uh, does it you know does it help with the equity in the home? That's the issue is equity. Mm-hmm. So the, what often prevents people from the equity is that with these older homes, things break a lot. Mm-hmm. So yes, it drives up the cost, and the way they still are able to sell it to working families, you know, people who like one works at uh, mm-hmm. Yale, let's say in local three five or something is that they get these historic tax credits with their historic homes, okay. or they get other, they're part of a national network that actually Jim Paley helped found that gets people who care about urban development to give mm-hmm. their nonprofit. They give grants oh, so okay. that they always make sure there's enough grant money in there. They get banks, like if the banks are destroying neighborhoods and they've done a lot of skeezy stuff like TD Bank or something, mm-hmm. the way they help get a better rep is if they go to some place like Neighborhood Housing Service and says, we'll give you a grant for urban housing. Mm-hmm. So again, you can bring down the cost so it costs just as little as if they'd done a shoddy job or just like the best you could with little money so that when someone then buys the house, the roof's in good shape, right. the furnace is in good shape. But then a program like that is absolutely a plus. And I mean, we need more of those type of programs, not only just here in New Haven, not only in the state, but across the country, actually. Uh, that is something that is actually going towards the community. I mean, I can't see anyone having a problem with that. They sometimes, like, you know, sometimes they do in New Hallville, a few people. It's very popular in New Hallville. I'm thinking of Tammy Chapman. But why is people. it a problem? I'll what? get to that. Oh, okay. So, like, Tammy Chapman and some other people bought those houses. They've actually become African-American homeowners who are actually doing civic groups. Mm-hmm. So they do the neighborhood cleanups. They lobby the city for traffic calming. Mm-hmm. They, when other houses, because there's so many slumlords there, mm-hmm. um, are run down, they, they organize against them. But uh, but sometimes um, the people who run neighborhood housing service, although that might change now, are white. Jim Paley is white. He's an old civil rights guy from the Bronx. He did this as his life mission. And he's not necessarily great with politics, right? So I've actually walked door to door with Delphine Clyburn, who's the alder there. She's African-American. Mm-hmm. And when at one point, neighborhood housing services needed approval mm-hmm. to get tax credits that they could then pass along to people buying the houses. Mm-hmm. But to get that approval, they needed neighborhood support. And she felt he had not adequately told the alders about it or explained it, and she didn't fully understand it. She went to door to door actually asking people to vote against it. And I watched there how sometimes politics or race get in the way. You know what I mean? Well, let me ask. And also city, LCI, does not like to do But It used to be that city government, and this included African-American leaders, loved to have NHS, Neighborhood Housing Service, be the ones who came in and fixed up buildings. But now they have a lot of suspicion. LCI, Serena, who runs LCI, does not fully trust Jim Paley either, and although Tony Harp does, and so like they won't go. There's not their first go-to, which is I think is okay because I don't think NHS needs to have everything. It's good to try to support other people. She wants other people to be players too and learn how to be developers. But um, but that definitely has been. But it hasn't stopped them because there's so many houses that need the work. And I've been inside those houses. They are absolutely beautiful. I'm gonna ask Paul, does the program work? Does it help? 
people. As long as it does that, it helps people. It's not driving the market out of reach. I think it actually I, empowers people by making them good rehabs and by minting homeowners. It actually stabilizes neighborhoods. I think that's it is all a, that makes it. I think neighborhood is the single most successful. And I was about to ask, doesn't it have like a dual? Because it it allows you know not only the home ownership piece, but usually these are those multifamilies. Like mm-hmm. you'll know a Jim Paley house when you see the little light post in the yard. Oh, okay. Um, so they're usually really well done, and then there's right. that little light post that kind of cements it. So you can like go in the neighborhood and pick out the Jim Paley houses. But they'll you usually were doing have that with me. Marquise and I yeah. were driving around New Hallville. We were on Bassett Street, and they mm-hmm. were the. Jim and I was Paley like, "That's houses. a Jim Paley house. That's a Jim Paley and house." And then we would meet the neighbors. Yeah, because we would the meet light other noble homeowners who like one woman member who'd been there fifty years. She would point across the street to a Jim Paley house and say, so "They make them all like that. Let's make them all like that. That'll make our neighborhood nicer." Yeah. And so, but it has that second piece where like to, to make the home ownership work in certain cases where they'll have those multifamily. So you rent to somebody yep. below you. So it provides some affordable housing in addition to an actual home ownership situation. So right. I think it's a really neat program. I'm, I'm, I'm a short timer, so I don't know anything about the suspicions that people may have about who. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm concerned about the suspicions part because exactly. he's, he's done his time here. He's, you know, he's been here. But I've been talking to him about it. And I think he isn't aware. He just kind of figures he's kind of. A little bit like me. People are sort of in their head and they're just thinking how the world should work. I mean, he's not getting rich. I mean, no, he's not getting rich. I mean, he's not rich. He's not. He lives here. The thing is, even if he was getting rich, but other people are advancing along the way. I don't understand. He's not getting rich. He's not private. The truth is, he is celebrated by the community hugely. They had this big event at Anthony's this week, right? And it wasn't just white people by any means. It was the whole community really loved. I don't care about all of that. If this man is little, if he was making. He was making money off of that, and rich is a state of mind. If he was getting wealth off of this, plus helping the community, who cares? He's actually a He's lifetime 60s guy. He wasn't. But anyway. He's giving back. What's wrong with this? During the recession, 2008, it was Neighborhood Housing Service that helped people keep their houses. Yeah. There's a woman named Bridget mm-hmm. Russell, who fortunately is black, African-American. Maybe that helps her relate to the neighborhood. She had this whole class through Neighborhood Housing Service that taught people how to avoid losing your house in foreclosure when so many people right. were. And she became a model, too. Rosa DeLauro came, had everyone learn what Bridget Russell was doing. And while Jim Paley had the stroke, it was Bridget Russell who stepped up and kept NHS going. Because every time you have a great organization in town, it's been around 30 years, mm-hmm. there's always this fear that when the founder dies or leaves, I hate mm-hmm. to be so blunt, or just leaves, that it's not going to continue. She worked with him, is what oh, you're he, Oh, she's worked with him for like 15 years. Oh. Yeah, she was like, and, she's, and she developed some of the new programs. So, we're hoping, so this is going to be <laughs> the key the thing. So we're hoping Bridget will keep it going. I mean, we have enough slumlords. <laughs> for real. Like, program <laughs> is nothing new. Norma, get in the mic. Yeah. yeah. This so program, I mean, it's probably what, in the 80s? But mm-hmm. we had these programs way before. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, se- I think, the 70s, the late, late 60s, early 70s. Because we had... Harvey Edelstein, which was a very similar type of um, development in the Hill Frank area. Frank Nasty. Uh, Frank Nasty. But there's one difference between Neighborhood Housing Service and all those other programs. Mm-hmm. I mean, see, there are two pro differences in my opinion, Norma, because I've watched all those programs. You always knew what a Frank Nasty house was. You knew what a Paley house, and there was <laughs> a different last name for <laughs> you, right? I bet it's not even spelled and like that, it sounds. And that's it. not a put down a nasty. Most people <laughs> argued. Most people argued that it costs a lot of money to build up, rebuild these houses, and that you want people to be able to afford them who aren't rich. So they did them as cheap as they could. Mm, Paley's theory was then they're going to lose the house and it's going to drag down the neighborhood. But he had to be extra creative on how you get that charitable money in the mix Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to then pass along the cost. Cost, So I think what Paley did that was brilliant Mm -hmm. was 
understand before much of the world has understood in the last three years through studies how important asset wealth is mm -hmm. as opposed to just immediate salary and income. Correct. And that houses were the asset wealth that would enable African-American homeowners and neighbors like Nahalville to pass it to their kids and keep them through trying times. And then when the recession hit in 2008 with Bridget Russell, they did, and through a group called Neighbors Works, that's the national network they're in, they realized how when those communities are the, f communities are the first that are hit mm -hmm. by foreclosure crisis or predatory lending, all that kind of stuff, that home, there are ways you keep your home. There are definite ways you can keep your home, mm -hmm. but you have to kind of learn those tricks of the trade. So they do right. homeowner training. And, you know, to highlight what you say, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I often say, you know, people believe when you buy a home, you know, it's, uh, it's yours. You know, you're going to own it. Well, at the end of the day, I think it's more important that people look at a home less of so much ownership, but more as one of the largest investment in their life. Mm -hmm. Because even if you burn the mortgage, and I'm very upfront with people about this, even if you burn the mortgage, meaning if you pay it off, you don't pay the taxes. You don't pay the taxes. It goes. So you have yeah. to look at it as an investment. It's the largest investment that you can literally pass on to family. And once people wrap their head around that and get comfortable with that, or when you retire, right. where a lot of people get exactly. burned now. This has nothing to do with race or lower medium no, income. Right. A lot of people getting ripped off now by. When you're older and your house is your only asset, mm -hmm. these companies sell it. You sell it, but you kind of own it until you die. Reverse, but then right. you own it, and then you've really taken advantage of their family and estates and reverse, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Reverse they, mortgages. It's yeah. a real, it's a real scam. So, so, so all kudos to Paley. And uh, what's interesting is that event this week, the 38th anniversary, 38 years, neighborhood wow. housing services, and they gave him a lifetime achievement award. As we know, we're passing the baton to Bridget Russell. The same week. We started a big experiment in New Haven about how to make neighborhoods nicer yeah. right there in New Hallville, right on the street where Marquise and I talked to the 50-year homeowner. Someone's owned their house 50 years and pointed across their Bailey house and then pointed to the slumlord houses and mm. how that drags down the block. And the city has taken inspectors and staffers from every agency that deals with the neighborhood. Public works, cuts the trees, takes the garbage, livable city initiatives, code violations, fire marshal inspects the houses, health department if the kids are going to have lead paint asbestos. They all went together in a team. You're talking about dozens of city people just swarmed through Nohova for two days. Today is day two. There'll be an article about it later today in The Independent. And they look at everywhere there's a problem they might have missed. And they found a whole lot of them yesterday. Like, hey, here's a house that passed inspection a year ago. Now look at it. It's completely unlivable. The roof's broken. The steps are dangerous. The trash is there. What's going on? We have to. They had to condemn one yesterday wow. that passed a year ago. Wow. So this is a way that they're doing two things. They're going to try to see if this can work in other neighborhoods too. If they do a sweep like this for two days, they're going to try to do two things. The first is to immediately fix a million problems. Mm -hmm. Which trees have overgrown so you can't see the lights, so then there could be crimes there. Which bottle had been fixed, Chav coming. Which code violation went unattended. So they're going to try to in a swarm fix a lot of problems, but then figure out how so they don't just come right back. And that's going to be through a variety of efforts. One is they're going to meet a lot of people along the way so they get used to knowing whom they can call to fix it. Mm -hmm. They can look at why did we pass that house a year ago? What happened in the meantime? Most importantly, this is Waki, so this is kind of stuff Marquisha and I love. They've developed a new app, this guy Herrera in city government, where for the first time, everything that somebody does at a house will go into one spot on an app. So if you're the health director and you went to the house, you're on this app, you will file it 
and your report will be at that property. If you're the housing code inspector, your report will be at the fire marshal, the cops who see a problem. And then if you're anyone in the city who has to deal with that property, the second you get a question, you go one button, one property page, you get everything there so you meet and know what's going on there, and they got to figure out, and this is the whole trick with data, they have to figure out how to make that an early warning system so that before the problem develops or gets bigger, say, hey, a lot's going on there, we got to deal with it. So they're testing this out in New Hallville for two days, and then they want to take it to Fairhaven, the Hill, every few months to side it. Because, you know, you have to do more or less in government. They're supposed to inspect every house every year. They know you can't do that with the staff right. they have. So will this bringing a whole lot of people in one neighborhood for a few days and then building systems so that they can then follow up with the public on keeping problems at bay, will that be a way to do more or less to make it you permanently do a better job fighting blight in neighborhoods with the existing staff you have and not have to raise taxes? Any thoughts from you guys about how it's going to go or what you think of this idea? I mean, this is what government ought to be doing. I think this is what local government ought to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. And it's, the, I think, the best use of time and energy and resources. You know, and, it, and it's getting ahead of a problem. It's getting ahead of potential problems rather than reacting mm-hmm. to existing problems. Do what you know I, what I mean? So I like that. What I like about it is that they are combining old technology with new you're looking at boots on the ground along with gathering information, creating a database, and you can now look at stuff to react. And like you said, to actually be proactive versus being reactive. Right, it's called the broken windows theory. You see right. little problems like a broken window before they become bigger problems, and you don't let there be a symbol to That's the neighborhood where I was going that you with can this. then break laws. Which is exactly where I was going. I wasn't going to call it broken window. My thing then Because broken windows now has a new connotation in New York, which is that you harass people exactly. on a pretense. So how can this... Well, you know, is anyone looking at what could be, how could this be used now against people in the neighborhood and homeowners? So the idea is that they have to get enlist the people who live there to have the broken window. And that's actually what I was thinking about in terms of the technology piece, right? So we have C-Click Fix, and this is kind of modeled after C-Click Fix without kind of subsuming that particular thing. It's an internal thing. But how could the city multiply its resources given that at the end of the day, they can collect all these problems, but they may still not be able to inspect them all. So what if the people, particularly renters who are living in places that have issues, what if there were an app that the renters could report? Like, you know, I reported this to my, this would be on the renters too. You'd have to report the stuff that you, you have to keep notes about what you reported to your landlord, what they didn't fix, you know, when the inspector came last, but that you could report that so this roof has been, is- has a big hole and it's had a hole for a year and nobody's done anything. Or I've contacted my, my landlord about the problems with um, mice droppings or whatever. And it's, I've been reporting it, and I've never gotten a result. So, Marquisa, that is one of the goals of what they're doing, and I think you're right. This is, might be the biggest challenge. That, that way they could be a multiplier Because they want to effect. convince people when they're doing this, and obviously they can't meet everybody mm-hmm. in two days. They're trying to convince people to do what you just said. So they already can report it on C-Click Fix. It's an official ally, that problem-solving website of city government. That information goes directly to government. Okay. The problem has been they didn't have an internal way to keep all that kind of good information and stuff they generate together. Another, part- But I think you're right, Marquis. I think that is the big challenge. They want the average tenant to know if stuff's messed up at your house, you call either the building department or, I mean, or LCI, or you just go on C-Click Fix, and then the city had to get better at taking that information and dealing with it. Like yesterday, they'd find... One house with 13 meters means they had 13 tenants, and yet it was unlivable. They're collecting all that rent because it was yeah. active. And, and why can't we get down? And the owners were living in Brooklyn and places like that. Yeah. And that's what they have to get after. The thing I would have to say is uh, the other part to it is you have the residents who is reporting this information to, the, to this app. 
My concern is what really happened with that information. And and my concern stands in the sense of, is it just going to be data collected or is something going to be done about it? Because even C-Click-Fix, which I like, by the way, I think it's a brilliant idea. I've reported an arrow on a on the street right downtown New Haven at the corner of Temple and Chapel. I mean, uh, oh, yeah, you're Church watching and Signal Light. <laughs> I've reported this. We have other people reported this, but it still haven't been fixed. So, but did you put in a complete streets application? <laughs> See, this is the bureaucracy. Uh-oh. That's the app. It's it, not the bureaucracy. I think it's Marquise's original point. Marquise is a reporter. Mm-hmm. So she actually knows what complete streets is. And actually, Tammy Chapman, the neighborhood organizer who bought a Jim Paley house, is actually great at complete streets and trying to keep the city honest. That most people don't know what that is, which is the way you, if you have a idea of how to make your streets safer with traffic calming or whatever, you put in an application to the city to have them fix it, and then they weigh it together. But I think the challenge now of a city is going to be, Joe, they can't get to every one of those problems with the staff size they have. We're not willing to. So tax there it is. What are we going to do with so this? So that's data? why they're in New Hampshire. And it's not just staff size; it's also money. Like I have a story on the. Uh, pay- on the website today about a connectivity grant that the city's trying to get from the state for connecting LT Grasso Boulevard in certain places to the hill better where there are no sidewalks all the way from like adult ed to like the um, evergreen cemetery where people have just worn a path where they just walk along the side of the street and, and how to better cross the street and having a bus shelter and all those things. Well, the city can't just, the city doesn't have the money to just go out and do that itself. Mm-hmm. We've known forever. Everybody in this town has known forever that there are no sidewalks out there. But isn't that but, a state, uh, state road? It is a state road, but mm-hmm. the city is responsible for sidewalk improvements. But to 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 be able to do that, they need the money to start right. it, right? right? So they don't get any grants. They, or federal, they I do mean, get grants, them. but they're competitive grants. They're competing with towns all over the state okay. for those grants. And if they get it, you know, then boom, that's great. But if they don't get it, then right. do we go another decade without? Like, how do how do we or do we take small pieces? And, you know, do a little sidewalk here, do a little sidewalk here, do a little sidewalk here. And there are other places in the city that have those same type of connectivity grant um, gaps like Sherman Parkway. We're on that west side. There's right. no sidewalk at all. Right. So like these these are like. But I, do they need it on that? Well, do you want your high schooler from Hill House and from Amistad High School, like walking along the side of the street? Do you care? No, but you could cross over. The, you could cross. The I've street. been on that sidewalk. Have you been on that? Because it's no. barely a sidewalk. No, no, and no. also <laughs> the cars go very fast. The certain park. Cars do go very fast. There. It's also very dark out there at I night. Want, I want to side. Yeah, the police department is also hours. shooting at night. So you've like, been down there no toward more. the Knickerbocker. No more. It, it gets to yourself. They, they, but they're what they're but I think like people often think that, oh, you know, I've reported this thing to the city and I can just, you know, I've reported it. So now they should just fix it. Well, it's a whole process. Like that's because it's government, it's bureaucracy and it's money. Nobody wants to pay more taxes, but everybody wants a new sidewalk. That's why I say tax bikes. But anyway, I said uh, <laughs> bikes don't ride on sidewalks. At least they shouldn't because they can ride in the street. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Uh, that's I why know. I say, look, give me a flashlight. I climb up there just to save lives. I climb up there and just. Tell, you know, put on a little flashlight, letting people know it's okay to turn now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, turn. You know, just <laughs> or just station a cop out there Joe to direct Ruggles traffic. found his calling. <laughs> you know, it, it got, yeah, it's I'll dangerous out there. And you know what? Our, so our calling is running down the news on Pundits Friday at <laughs> WNHH, your home for community radio, 103.5 FM, live stream to newhavenmint.org. You're joining us here on Pundit Friday, running down the stories of the week. Marquisha Ricks and Babs Rolls-Ivy last night were at 
um, Ocean View, Anthony's Ocean View. And it, so was I. Because it was and, and I was Norma. looking for you. <laughs> I saw your table, wow. but I wasn't able to get over I there because I saw Carlos. He was all dressed up. Wait a minute. And what the event was? It was the event. Oh, it was packed. Oh, Anthony's Ocean View needs a parking garage. So I call it the political which would make their neighbors hate them even more. The Black and Hispanic Caucus of Board of Alders has an annual event where they get dressed up to the nines and they raise money for charity and everybody goes there every player in the city every political person every the police chief and they give out awards and they dance and so how was it what did you think of the event last night norma or babs or- i'll just add this um so i was sitting next to a, a, a staffer um who said he remembers when they they did the very first one and that it didn't fill up even half of that room like it was only in like one part of the ballroom now it is packed to the gills like it is the event that people seem to like wait for mm. and it's packed all the way to the back of the room like in little corners like packed. Oh. it's packed now the one time i went i was thinking like you know because i don't relate to proms and it really was like the prime was getting so dressed up but then i was thinking there's something interesting uh-huh. about this event there's everyone in that room who most of the year they're fighting with each other uh-huh. they're arguing about how who's really on the right side the wrong side of stuff it seems to be a night when all these people who, a high percentage of the people who actually make New Haven run, come together to sort of celebrate what they do. I like the way raise how some say money. seems to be. Let's remember that. That's but the what I mean is word. that <laughs> when I was in there, I really felt the vibe in the room. Really, it really was a moment you- where civic New Haven and political New Haven can be human beings who are together and celebrating what they do without fighting and have a common purpose. Whatever, Paul. They it was booze involved. <laughs> what is he talking about? Whatever. You know what it was? That was an open bar. Let me tell you. It was a good band. It was a party. That's what it is. Make no mistake. There you go. Politics was there being handled. Because I've been to this event and I could tell you. Because I was I, up in the mix in a lot of conversations. There you go. With a lot so, of people. That's where you go to spread Listen, the room. Come on. <laughs> Mayor Gannon was there. Oh, oh he my, was. Running for governor. Sure um, Man, I, right, Gary Highsmith right, was a, there. It's a great room to do politics, right? He oh, absolutely. Yeah. With a drink in hand, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary Highsmith like the school superintendent, right? Uh-huh. And, uh, and I mean, Gary I had some rich conversations with a bunch of folks from all kinds of... I, I was like, what? Oh. What example? Give me an example. I can't. <laughs> have, to, have to protect the names oh, to, to protect the guilty? <laughs> <laughs> we went to the photo booth and I never made it. There. Oh, that photo booth was fun. <laughs> they had to put it outside this year, though, didn't they? Because it was so packed. Yeah. So as I'm, I'm coming out of the, so the photo booth. There's two African American women waiting Norma, for me. Norma, could you get closer to the mic? Thanks. As I'm coming out of the photo booth, there's two African American women waiting for me, and they said, "You're Norma Rodriguez." I said, "Yes." And so they said, "Do you remember me?" Oh, <laughs> I was like, I back don't, I don't. in 1970. Um, four or seventy-five. I was one of the counselors, you know, in the summer programs. Oh, I w- wow. for Soul See Patrol. For oh. Soul Patrol, I was oh the only. Oh. <laughs> Here I am, the only Puerto Rican. Okay, <laughs> and Pentecostal with long hair, wow. with a dress, long skirt, and, <laughs> and heels. Right, <laughs> and we are at um. Quinnipiac University, the the, 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 the mountain there mm-hmm. that you have to go up? I mean, Sleeping Giant. Yeah. The Sleeping Giant Park. Uh-huh. So I'm in charge of all these young, what are they, 13, 14 years old? Right. So I'm about, what, 19 years old? <laughs> so here I am, right? We have to climb up there. Mm-hmm. And so the girls are tired, you know? And I said, nope, we got to climb up that mountain. 
And, you know, I grew up with my, who were my role models? There weren't any Hispanics because there were no Hispanic leaders during that time that I can relate to. So, uh, obviously, they make us read Harriet Tubman. So, here, I'm thinking I'm a Harriet Tubman. (laughs) And I'm saying to them, listen, let me tell you guys something, okay? You guys have to remember who Harriet Tubman was. She took from the South to free people, bringing them up to the North, the slaves. And if any of them wanted to go go back, she had a gun and she threatened to shoot them. <laughs> so you know what? We have to be acting like we going up there. Right. And if any of y'all want to turn back, I might have a gun. So we and we got to make it. We got to make it. Can you they, imagine? Were they a part of this group that you now we know we have Norma Thugman amongst us. <laughs> so that, you know, that brought back great memories. Oh great my gosh, memories. That's great. awesome. It was a party, was I must yeah. say. So basically I was overanalyzing this thing. Yeah, it's just a were. party. Yeah. No, 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 no. What she's saying is that no. politics are being handled. Under like that is, they're not time. just letting down their hair. Not at all. <laughs> she's not like, at all. People were very strategic last night. Exactly. You yeah. go there because you want to be, of course you want to right, be. Right, of course. Bloomethal always shows up, right? Was right. You want to be there. Yeah, was there. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, uh, uh, Delora was there and mm-hmm. she, she got it in. Uh. She loves to be. Oh, she got it in. When I mean, mean got it in, she was jamming, dancing. Like, she loves you know, to she's oh, at yeah, home. She loves she, to boogie. She was at home. These are her people. She's yeah. at home. And I, I talked to her about her mom, and I said, you know, your mother, your mother would jump anybody's. Any, she didn't care if there was black, white, green. She'd jump in the car. She and, sure would. <laughs> I need a ride home, baby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was like, Mr. Lord, you sure? No, go, I live right over there. Yeah. You know, last week we were talking about um, a, a more contentious affair, which was that the first time uh, it was a challenge to the president of the municipal management professional mm-hmm. union. Shirley Poindexter, eight years, has run Ask Me Local 3144. She's mad at you. I just want I know, you to know. I know, I know. She thinks I, we should never cover a story involving her being challenged. She's been mad four years ago we covered it. Anyway, <laughs> she, uh, uh, that union is very divided. Every two years they have an election for president where it's almost even, like there's 10 votes that decide it. And this year it challenged Slate, who said that only insiders are running union for their benefit and causing fights with the city, but they're screwing everybody else. They won. They won eight of 11 seats in the president. They have a new president, Melinda Figueroa. And then immediately... The uh, the new president of the union and the mayor, Tony Harp, said, we think we can have a better working relationship. We have a big fight at the state over what the union is calling a union-busting effort and what the city's calling an effort to have the union have the right kind of members in it, not people who supervise each other, but who are actually, um, you know, office workers and stuff like that. But they're thinking they could settle that. Any thoughts on that election? Other people thought, you know, Shalyn Poindexter was such a fighter, and right now we need people in government who stand up for labor and, you know, the, the elected officials and management are elected to look after taxpayers. They have to look after their members. Then you have the other side that say unions have to be part of solutions for government and represent the interests of, of their entire memberships. How do you guys read it? What do you think uh, this election pretends? Come on, Keisha Ray. Listen, nobody gets to be in these <laughs> like seats forever. <laughs> you don't get to be in the seat forever. If somebody wants to do it, let them do it. Or if somebody no. legitimately runs and they win, they win. Right. I think the problem I have with this is that you know, people, if they lose, like just talking to Miss Poindexter yesterday, it was very Bad personal. Loser. Bad loser. It was very, like, it was as if somebody had said, or the New Haven Independent said, we just don't like you personally. And how does she think that the Independent State voters, first of all, people who read the article believe that it cast her in a very positive light. But separate from that. That's what I told her. But I separate said, from I that, thought... she got mad every few years because she didn't want union democracy. Four years ago, she had a challenge, and Melissa Bailey wrote a story in the Independent saying there was a challenge, and uh, here are the two candidates. And she was so angry that it was reported that she wouldn't speak to that reporter for months. But separate from that, 
That was the issue. It was internal <laughs> democracy. People said there was no democracy in this union. So she lost the vote, but she's blaming outsiders for reporting on it. Kind of sounds like Hillary Clinton to me. No, oh, that's wrong. <laughs> I'm not no. going to accept that. Really? Hillary Clinton me said the New York Times. Listen, Harry. Listen, Harry. I'm not going to take that shade. Harry's like, where's my Hillary Clinton just wrote a book saying that the New York Times cost of the election because oh even God. though they wrote so many positive articles about her, they didn't write it enough. Paul. Hillary Clinton has earned the right to say whatever she wants to say in a book, a novel, I agree. a coloring book. She has the right to be correct. Sanskrit, whatever she wants to say. She has earned that right. I didn't question Ms. her right. Poindexter has not earned that right. Yes, she does. She has the right to say whatever she wants. Well, she does have the right to say what she wants, but she also has to uh, accept. She doesn't have to. She, well, she's not uh, accepting it. Uh, that was my parallel to Clinton. They didn't accept that they lost <laughs> and they failed to convince enough people who they needed but to convince the vote for them. But that was not Hillary Clinton's problem. <laughs> that Hillary wasn't her Clinton, problem. No, Hillary Clinton lost by 80-something thousand. Look, we could get into this. She lost by 80-something thousand votes that was targeted. Yeah, Let's that's how you run elections. No, no, no. That was targeted by an outside source, not by no, the wasn't. Other Donald Trump went to western Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. what you really believe? Oh, there's no question. That's no, like the electoral a, college. No, but they, he might have went though. That they he might have went there. He might have went there, but he went there knowing why he was going there. And there also backing. was like a really good story no. about the um the change in the voter ID and how it suppressed voting in like Milwaukee. Correct. I agree. So, you know, I agree. But also, he had better use. He had better analysis the data or where to send the candidate. And at now, the end. yeah, if I had and Russia on my not. side doing that, if Hillary had that nope. on her side, too, Hillary sure. had more money for big data. It's analysis more than just money. It was more than you know. Well, to get back to the local election of it all, I'm very curious to see how successful this this new regime is going to be. And if it's not, then people will do what they do and they'll Definitely. vote for another faction. Right. Shirley might be back. What is now, she you might be back. Where so people Bab believe said that they don't get entitled to, to hold on to a position. But that's forever. my point. What that you that? you don't get to hold on to a seat because you feel like you right. ought to. You ought to be challenged. And right. if you good, you run on your, your merits of what you stand. Right. And you lose, you win, you fall, whatever. It reflects that she doesn't realize that people voted against her, not because the Independent Run article quoting her and her right. record. It's because people in the union felt they wanted to change. Right. right. One of the things and that that's we the had, truth. Now, and Local 35 had the same election. So they've had the same president for 22 years. Bob Proto, who's the most prominent labor leader in New Haven because he was also a central labor council. And some people think he's the real party boss because they liked all the alters. He had not been challenged in 22 years, Babs. This week, Shirley Lawrence, we know her. She's an activist in the union. I know her very great, well. Great woman. She challenged Bobby Proto for the presidency. Mm -hmm. First time he was challenged in 22 years, and he was sweating. But he ended up winning. There's an article mm -hmm. about the independent. He won four to one. But he was pretty complimentary. He said that he felt that Shirley brought to the fore concerns that newer members have, that they're not being communicated with enough, and their interests aren't being looked at, which is an attitude she uh, The question is if he would have said that if he had lost it. Uh, if he had lost, would he have said that? That's the real question. Okay, the bottom line is that. Uh, okay, the bottom line is, no one should have this belief. Remember what happened here in the city of New Haven, when we had a mayor for twenty years, and then when that mayor decided he wasn't going to run, was a big vacuum. I felt like politics was so empty, and it was good that we had something that the result of it was good. Those type of vacuums end up giving us the pure out Trump, if we may. You know, you, we've seen this in so many different areas where you get someone leave after so many years and then you get someone who's a dud. <laughs> or done. We, we just happen to be to lock out on this. We got to groom a bench, whether it's leadership of a police department or people who can run for office. Because always right. says who's going to be the next mayor. 
it's kind of hard to come up with the names. There are a few names we think of. We don't know if people are going to want to or not. Right. It's not I a big bench. None. But like you said, a bench more than just one or two. But that's people. what the Board of Aldermen no. ought to be thinking about, too, right. cultivating that kind of political talent to go to the next level. But we should do that not just at the aldermanic level to the mayoral level. Mm-hmm. We ought to do that for state and representative True. levels yeah. and to the governor's but mansion. But it goes back to... We should, no like, are there any Democrats to, running for governor? So they feel that... Well, Dan Drew, who's falling apart, the mayor of Middletown. Oh, no, and the A-team's not running. You know, for mayor, I can think of names. I have no idea if they'll run. But I always say I could see people wanting to be mayor like um, Karen DuBois Walton, Gary Winfield, Justin Elliker... Doug House Layden. Like, I don't know if any of those would be the one we'd want or not want, but there's people who are putting in their time. They are learning how the city works. They have taken positions of responsibility. Henry Fernandez did. I mean, so these are people, I think that there are some people who uh, just no, don't know I, if they I, would run. I agree. The thing is, there are people who might George have Perez. ambition, ambition on, and but are they being groomed? That's yeah. the real part of it. I feel like they're doing that, like the people that you just named are doing their own grooming. Like, see, I don't know that the parties are grooming them, see, but what, that they are taking positions that put them in place. Grooming. You can learn a lot, yeah. but if you don't have the party support at the end of the day, that's it can true. hurt you. And I so, think that's where the local Democratic Party fails, uh-huh. that they don't, they, they, they get in a, a fluster about finding a candidate in the ninth hour. The, the, true. Right? True. Instead of like, let's look, let's look four years down the line or right. two years down the line and start looking at who i mean i think whether you liked harp uh, uh um um the late mr harp whether you liked him or not he had that, that mindset right he did he really had that mind now the people that he ran were always like crazy 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 <laughs> but at least he was always thinking you know what for the next race mm-hmm. blah blah you, blah you know who i think and people are gonna think this is very is very unpopular thing to say i think the only group in town who finds grassroots leaders and cultivates them is Unite Here, the union. Everyone yeah. gets mad that they run candidates. But think about they like labor unions was a great place to find leaders because these are people who went around knowing how to organize people work on campaigns. Yeah. So you had Delphine Kleiber, you had Jeanette Morrison, you had um Taisha Walker, you had Brian Wingate. Some of those are in the actual Unite Here, some aren't, like Jeanette, they're just in the labor movement or Delphine. And actually all the talented people we've seen enter politics pretty much have come through that. So I agree with people who say it shouldn't just be Unite Here. There should be all sorts of groups active in New Haven who cultivate talent and get involved in politics. My gripe is that instead of getting mad unite here for being involved and picking candidates and having an idea and a like slate, they should just organize their own. That's what Tony Harper always said. When they've been against her on things, she said, or other groups forms, she says, I'm glad they're there. They'll make me better, but I also want them to have yeah. contributions to democracy. Understood. And people, they should be organized through other groups. But the Democratic Party, the parties themselves need to groom people within yeah. ranks. So when, well, sometimes when it comes and as I would say, maybe not just grooming, because I think about the Working Party, Working, working Families, Families Party, Party. And, mm-hmm. and what's the there's a new group that kind of grew out of the the Pantsuit Nation kind of folks, but they're they're basically know, a progressive. Know you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. They had a meeting so, last weekend in Woodbridge to cultivate yeah. women candidates. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. and in, so in Woodbridge though, I guess what the Democratic Party because most of them it's just cold for white people. <laughs> and most of them are by and large Democrats, right? They're different factions in the Democratic Party. So how do you get everybody under the umbrella? If if folks are grooming or doing these individual things outside of the party structure to groom candidates to run, how do you then ultimately make Exa- you know, make <laughs> yeah, them like exactly. Democrats for real in the exactly. sense that when we're looking for candidates, we mm-hmm. can go to all of these groups and be like, you know, who's your strongest people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think in answer to that question, Mark, is just something Joe was saying. Sometimes people who run organizations don't like to share the power. They see younger people's threats. That's a problem. Yeah. Not just <laughs> party problem. leaders. You know, one thing I heard a lot in the 90s was 
when John Daniels ran for mayor in 89, first black mayor, and they had this great campaign with people who were involved in politics, young people who weren't, a lot of young African-American emerging leaders, every one of the young African-American talented leaders who worked on that campaign eventually left New Haven. I'm talking about Steve, remember, who ran the campaign. I'm talking about Roger Van, who became a national leader in the NAACP. And some people, Deidre Bailey. I mean, some people. Oh, my God, yeah. And and these people, (laughs) Kev, remember Rev Kev, although he died. Yes, he died. But, I mean, all these people, and some people naturally are going to gravitate and become national leaders like Roger. But, in general, there was a real feeling in the black community that I would hear. And, again, I'm white, so I don't get to weigh in too much. I'm talking about what I heard. I would hear from the younger, talented, rising black people involved in New Haven that the older black leadership didn't want to share power and cultivate the leadership, and they had to go elsewhere. And there's an explanation for that. There's and we a, lost a generation. There is, wow. a, yeah. I, there's an explanation. And keep in mind, realize I said the word explanation, not condone. I don't condone it. But if you look at across the board, and not just here in New Haven, that generation was the first generation success. Whereas in different groups, there were yuppies. But as a whole, there were buppies. You understand what I'm saying? Where blacks were now getting some level of success. When you get that, it's very hard to just push it off. You're in your 60s, you know, pushing 70s. It was just that. So I understand why they did it. Don't mean I condone it in the slightest. I just understand. Well, you know, John, the late John Daniels actually loved the young energy, and he hired those people. Mm-hmm. But we just didn't keep them in New Haven. No, we, I mean, well, that's I mean, because- I was, I mean, I was, I mean, I, I served under Roger Van at the at the, at the NAACP level. I mean, I, I chaired some of the committee. I mean, I was with them in the trenches, and I, and I understand it. And it was quite frustrating to sort of. Um, um, wanted to have our young voices and be Lisa heard. Was, what's Lisa's last name? Sullivan. Yeah, now mm-hmm. she died too, but she also left town. I remember her writing me a letter about all these people leaving town. And before Roger Van left town because he'd become a statewide NAACP leader, Henry Fainers came into town. Yep. And she said that's going to be a class because the city's not going to be big enough for him. But this thing, Roger went and people like that. And because Henry Fainers was another person who had the potential to become a national leader, national organization, but decided to put the roots down in New Haven and build up Leap and, you know, and, and get involved here. And, and but most of the people left, including the people he cultivated at Leap, like Deidre Bailey, went mm-hmm. to Philly. Yeah, and I guess my question, because obviously I was not here, <laughs> my question is: Was there no room for them? I mean, there, there's not the sh- not just the I power sharing, but like the room for them, because it sounds like they had better opportunities. And that is true. That's why. Some but when I look leave, at, for yeah. instance, when I look at some of the younger folks who are are in. Uh, Mayor Harp's administration, like your your Doug Houseley and your Giovanni Zinn, who was an intern in the city plan department like 12 years ago, like who's now the city engineer. Like these are younger people in city government who are making their mark. I don't know what their ultimate trajectory is, but like they've taken on their responsibility of whatever the department is and trying to to innovate and put their stamp on it. Like whatever Giovanni Zinn decides to do with his life from here on out, bioswales will be all over the city because of his work. Like. Like, were the, those types of opportunities or were they not able to get into city government and transition from campaign yeah. to actual governing? That's it. What happens is people yeah. get left behind. And if you're amazing at what you do, like Roger Van is, you're going to get swept into something else. Right. So some people like that guy's not going to be unsuccessful. That's a great part. It's sort of like the big companies leave New Haven and normal yeah. saying we could yeah. be a triad. Like, the like it's amazing That's that Ben Berkowitz is still in New Haven. He could go anywhere. I'm sure people want to flash him money and say, please come to California. Please come do this. And he's like, no. They were born and raised in New Haven. He could. They came to New Haven, right? And this who? All these folks that we spoke about. Ben Berkowitz about. is from here. Deidre Bailey grew up he grew in New Hallville. Uh-huh. Deidre Roger Bailey grew up in New Hallville. Roger Van grew up in the New Haven line. You're right. Some did come here. Right. And I think Marquise is right. And I, and, and I think 
Norm is right that it's okay that you're a launching pad for some people. Like, in a city our size, but it's an exciting city, some people like us like to have roots and stay here forever, and other people contribute for a few years and move on, and that could be healthy, but I do think there was a problem of keeping people who might have stayed. TL. That would solve everything. Term limits. Oh, I thought you meant total love. <laughs> <laughs> term limits. Zen, zen if you have term limits. Paul Bass would think total love. <laughs> no, I just think Punnett Friday because you're listening to the greatest puns of the universe run down the headlines for the week as we get on. You know, um, there were two booze bids this week caused a lot of debates that in the, in the pages of the Independent. Two different restaurants wanted to ha- get liquor licenses in two neighborhoods. In one of them, um, Upper State Street, there's this very expensive and I guess nice. I've never been in a um, coffee place called the Coffee Peddler. I've never been, I've never been, I've been in I've been in Coffee Peddler. It's nice. It's, it's nice. And these guys came from Brooklyn and do like the $8 coffee and all that kind of stuff. To do they do pour Do they have Blue Mountain coffee? I'm not sure. I, that's what I, I haven't been in there in a while. So now that I've so had they my Blue Mountain experience, I want to get the liquor for know. wine tastings. And at first, some neighbors were against it, but it turned out there was overall neighbor oh support. Gosh, they yeah. came for the zoning board for variance to get their license. And everyone came in favor of them except for one person. Joshua Santana's in City Point. And he has a building, this apartment building that had a laundry mat on the first floor. He moved it to a bigger location. And he wants to put in a Mexican restaurant that would have takeout and liquor. And the neighborhood came out and 100 people signed a petition against them. And everyone, including the alder, went against them and, uh, at the hearing for his request. And they were saying that, you know, he has zero parking spaces there. And the city point is very light traffic. And a lot of people are going to be driving up for the takeout and the booze. But they were also concerned about who was going to drink the liquor. They said it's going to be not, it's right to be near something called Shell and Bones and City uh, Point Market that are, and Sage that are like expensive restaurants that bring uh, upper class clientele, even though City Point's very mixed, right? Norma mm-hmm. lives there. And, and, live in City Point. and all these neighbors say, we don't want the kind of people who are coming for the cheaper liberal Mexican restaurant. We don't want your people here. And the owner said, oh, my people. So oh, my oh, God, that's that so racist. Oh, so then our, na- our our readers got mad. But when you think about the person made their Dor- Doris Colon is the alder. And the people were all black and brown, for the most part, who were against this. And they say it's so unfair to call it racist. Dolores Colon is the woman who led the charge to increase the amount of low-income housing in every development project in the Hill. Hill to downtown, Church Street South. Make sure there's at least 30%. So you can't really say she's someone who against poor people living here. And so they say it really is about the traffic and the kind of cheap liquor. If you can have like, but she might not be. I bet, I bet you. I bet you it she, isn't. I bet but, you. If, I but, bet you. If Shell and Bones say, you know what, we're gonna put a little outpost. We want to oh, put an know, outpost like a there. It'll be there. Section. It'd be there in a heartbeat. And it'll be there. And nobody would say That's a dad. Right. No, and I thing. would argue that a lot of well-heeled people get drunk and drive, leaving Shell and Bones. You said you would argue that. Don't I do? I'd go. You want better? I pretty much if they put a little checkpoint there. <laughs> my crack up in fee so what do you think the neighbors say you know you really the outsiders look at this and it looks the racial the comment was, race, was racist but, it, it was totally was inappropriate it out of it was, it's totally no, that, that, how is it out of context no because she would say it's class not she's, race yeah. she's someone who a lifelong is clearly someone who's not against low income people being in her neighborhood you know what Paul wrong. because I have a vagina totally doesn't make me a feminist True. right but, Thank if you you. Spend, but if you spend oh, your whole oh, life I love that but if you spend your whole life fighting for feminism and you make a comment that sounds a certain way, but people don't know the whole context, you, then you I'd are wrong. Sec- I give you a second. Why listen. can't people be wrong, Paul? Then what you're wrong. Be, she's she's wrong. Be wrong. Then you're wrong. She is totally wrong. Just wrong. Like this. Just wrong. What about the parking issue? Yes, we what have parking it? issues all over this city. Well, Norma lives a block away. Norma, how do you feel about it? Norma will lend her parking lot. I'll I'll be very honest with you. I'm I'm very frustrated and upset about this kind of stuff because it reminds me of exactly what happened in the third ward. Mm -hmm. Okay? In the third ward, in the hill, 
on the corner of Winthrop and Davenport. Mm-hmm. There, uh, for the first time back in the 70s, okay, a Puerto Rican set up a corner restaurant exactly like oh, that one, God. okay? And the alderman there, Tony Dawson, did not want it there. He wasn't the alder till the 80s. Well, then it must have been. <laughs> I, okay. I know it She's was like, Tony know Dawson was. who fought. And I remember that, you know what? He fought it so hard that that restaurant never opened. Tony Dawson did? Yes, he did. Wow. So okay. I know Norma, they put him on. Norma and that's exactly what's happening up. here now. Norma has spoken up in the past about she felt that people who are Latino have a harder time than other people getting permission to open restaurants. To unless you got a, it's like unless you got a gut truck, that's the only thing that they want these people to have. It's and just it, wrong. I don't mean to it say it sounds these like they're that's yeah that, they, that that's I what know, it that sounds like. It, not you it, saying that, but like it's it's these people. It's a certain it's right. a, a connotation, a stereotype about what type of clientele well, would exactly patronize. When Babs hit it right on the head, if the Shell and Boons decide we're gonna put a little outpost out there, guess what? It's gonna be an outpost. It's gonna be a and it's nobody and parking nobody. will not be discussed Thank because you. there's They'll this assumption the that they are they a certain to. type of because the white man's ice is always colder. And you know it's so funny. Shilling bones <laughs> were the people who try to stop their competitor yeah. city point market for uh-huh. getting from the open because said there wouldn't be enough parking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That happened. And it's the Yale Unite here to bring it back. Who said that they pretended the real reason they were against Yale doing something was because they were worried about parking? Yeah, parking is like the the catch all. The catch all. Is the new N word. <laughs> you ready to develop something and you hear the P word? It really means yeah, you should run. <laughs> parking is parking a new is code for we don't want your kind here. Yeah, parking is the new black. I can, I, can think of a, I can think of a much nicer P word. All right, <laughs> we gotta hear this. Pundits. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining the Friday Pundits. A great way to end your week in New Haven. Listening to Pundit Friday on WNHH Radio. Joe Ugly, Norma Rodriguez-Reyes. Oh, no, Harry you Dros, hold me for last. Quiet. <laughs> N- or, Harry Dros. Baz Rolls-Ivy. <laughs> Ricks. The best pundits in the universe. The great P word. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> You're like a hairdresser. <laughs> So thanks for joining us on Pundit Friday in New Haven. Let me make sure I let them know what Harry Jones looks like. We're going to take it out. Harry Trump. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience. Performing I Wish I Knew It Would Like to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. It looks kind of sultry. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight and fly free with us all weekend long at WNHH, New Haven's home. For community radio.